Holy and loving God, write a message on our hearts, bless us, direct us, and send us out living letters of the word. Amen. Lent. Let me ask you, is there a more exciting time in the church year than Lent? I I heard those groans. I recently received a booklet of Lenten meditations, and the foreword began with the sentence, you know you're really a church geek when you find yourself looking forward to Lent. I'm not entirely sure about that. But I do know that these 40 days, this journey of Lent, this season of the church year, are different. And purposely so, as we prepare for that great day of resurrection in only a few weeks. 40 is a biblical pattern, going back to Moses' 40 days of fasting, of Elijah's 40 days of flight, of Israel's 40 years of wandering, and as we heard in today's gospel, Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. And the church from its very beginning modeled itself after this holy pattern, including 40 days of preparation before baptism, and in case of notorious sinners, 40 days of separation before one could rejoin the congregation and receive the sacraments once again. And here at the chapel, we will observe this holy season in many different ways. For one, our hangings have changed from the bright green of growth and life to sackcloth, symbolizing our penitence. During worship, we will have more moments of silence, and there will be a greater focus on penitence. Earlier, as you may have noticed, we sang the Great Litany, a Lenten tradition dating from the English church, originally written in 1544. In fact, the litany was intended to be sung by the entire congregation in procession, acolytes and choir and the entire congregation tracing the borders of the parish. I'm sure that would really freak out some folks on 463. <laughs> but to your relief, I am sure we will only, I will only inflict you with the litany while it is great this first Sunday in Lent. And all of these differences help us to mark this holy season. But why is Lent so different? What is the reason for this very somber season? Well, in a word, the reason is sin. And this morning, we're going to talk about sin. But what is sin? Sin is one of those concepts that we think we know a definition, but when we try to articulate it, it gets a little garbled or we are unsure of ourselves. We can point to the Ten Commandments and identify some big sins. If you are listening to the litany, it lists several fantastic sins like heresy and schism, battle and murder, pride and vainglory. And when we witness sin out in the world, we can easily point to it and say, that's a sin, or 
that's a sin or that's a sin. But like so many things that we see, that we know when we see it, it can be difficult to actually write a definition of sin. Presbyterian minister Donald McKim defines sin as the human condition of separation from God that arises from opposition to God's purposes. And for me personally, I really like that definition of sin. For sin is so much more than breaking a law or doing something bad. Rather, when we sin or act in a sinful manner, we place an unnatural barrier between us and our God. Scripture states that we are made in the image of God. And so by our very nature, we are meant to be in communion, in relationship with our Creator. And God's hope for us is that nothing would separate us from Him. Jesus prays in the Gospel of John for us to be one with God in the same way that He is one with His Father. But that union, that connection, can short-circuit because of our sin. But if we accept this definition of sin as a separation from God, as opposed to just breaking one of many rules and regulations, then we are saying as much about God and as we are about sin. For if sin was just breaking a rule or checking something off of a list, then God would be very one-dimensional, a God that's more like some kind of cosmic traffic cop that pulls us over when we've done wrong. And yet how many of us see God in this way and we cower in our guilt and wallow in our fear when we think we have done something wrong? But instead, if sin is a separation from God, then that means that there should be a much more meaningful connection between God. And while it can be blocked by sin, it can also be healed and redeemed. If sin is a separation, then we are saying that God actually and truly wants to be in communion with us. If sin is a separation, then we are admitting that God made us intrinsically good and God accepts us for who we are. And if sin is a separation, then God will not forsake us when we sin, but instead work to heal the breach. Now, I am not trying to be an apologist for our sins or somehow wiggle our way out of those things that we have done that we should not have done. In this season, we are meant to reflect and meditate and pray about our sins. But we also should think and meditate and pray about God's forgiveness and how God's forgiveness takes precedence over our sins. For at the end, it is God's mercy and not our sin that has the final say. Like the father of the prodigal son who welcomes his youngest son home, not with rebuke, but with a feast. God embraces us when we come home to him.
As it says in Psalm 25, For this is the same God who does not remember the sins of my youth and my transgression, but instead remembers me according to God's love and for the sake of God's goodness. So as we mark and begin this season of Lent, do remember your sins. And as the invitation to a holy Lent states in our Ash Wednesday service, we can make a right beginning of repentance through self-examination, prayer, fasting, and self-denial. But as you remember and identify your sins, remember also that that sin has separated you from God. And like two people standing on either side of a canyon, God reaches out to us and wants to heal that breach, to bring you back in to the circle of love, to be in communion with you once again. And then in that beautiful moment, we are forgiven, for God has put away our sins. Lent is about sin. But more than that, Lent is about forgiveness. Amen.